self-belief. Um, that self-belief is by far the most important attribute an athlete can have to Megan and I. Um, and what self-belief means to us is not thinking, you know, you're going to win a race or a gold medal or anything like that. It's just that you can continue to grow even when handed evidence to the contrary. Um, because in an athletic life, you're getting evidence to the contrary all the freaking time. Sometimes it's injuries or really bad, really tough things like that. Sometimes it's life situations. Sometimes it's poor workouts. Sometimes it's not wanting to go out the door, you know, with running at least. Running freaking sucks a lot of the time. Like it just doesn't feel good sometimes. And you're giving this information always. And if the person that responds to that information being like with a little bit of a laugh and a wink and being like, yep, that's awesome. I got this. Um, that's the person that actually like, you know, can give themselves the room to find what they're capable of. And then a lot of people that don't do that think that they're at their limits and aren't even seeing their limits from the distant horizon. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, your host, and this is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. With my soulmate and YT's head coach, BJ, by my side, we have successfully birthed over 200 episodes of this podcast, the very podcast that I was so scared to start. But hell, I did it anyway. Our intention is to bring meaningful conversations to the endurance sports world by diving under the surface and having a good hard look at what's brewing down there. Our experience has been that the challenges of life, desires of the heart, and fears of failure are not reserved for one specific type of athlete, but a common thread for all humans to face and we believe overcome. Although our journeys are unique for our individual highest good, the essence of what we traverse while on this earth is exact. I believe that the more we can embody this, the more we will remember our interconnectedness, the more we will develop our compassion muscle, and the more we will be able to embrace the road in each of its steps because we will know beyond doubt that we are not alone. Thank you for listening in and sharing the show with your community. We will never know the full weight of the trickle effect that BJ and I are creating from the top of Yogi Triathlete, but it never fails to surprise us when we receive a beautiful note from one of our listeners or reach out to a potential guest only to have them tell us that they're a fan of the show. We're 100% listener supported and hoping to stay that way. So if you're loving the show and desiring some extra perks like live weekly yoga classes with BJ and I, get over to patreon.com forward slash yogi triathlete and check out all of the exclusive content just for you. Today, Beej and I are super excited to be chatting with coveted running coach, David Roach. With a commitment to unconditional love and support coupled with his process-oriented long-term methodology for athletic fulfillment, David coaches some of the top trail runners in the world. His athletes have taken wins at some of the biggest trail races, including Western States 100 and the infamous Hard Rock 100. David is founder of Swap Coaching. He is a two-time national champion and three-time member of Team USA with many wins under his belt at the ultra and sub-ultra distances. David graduated from Columbia University with a degree in environmental science and received a master's degree and law degree from Duke University. In 2018, David and his amazing wife, Megan, co-authored The Happy Runner, a book that begins with the ultimate finish line for all, death. To say we are excited to bring this amazing coach to you all today is an understatement. As I know some of David's athletes, and we have done our homework leading into this interview, I can confidently say that we speak the same language when it comes to coaching and life philosophy. My hope is that we can break down some of this for you all to digest and create a healthier, happier environment for your life and your sport today. David Roach, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much for having me. After that, I feel so peaceful and loved and centered. I'm like, that's that. I was thinking while you were saying that, that like the feeling that you just gave me is exactly what I hope to try to convey to like the world, you know? So that was amazing. And I feel like um, everything is aligned right now. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for being here. It's been, uh, you've been on our radar for a while. You've been on a sticky note on our cabinet that says Boulder interviews and you've been on there, but um, you know, this quarantine has given so many gifts to us, uh, like too many that I can, I can't even count at this point. But one of those was putting us out of outside of a hard line that we couldn't do remote interviews. And what was happening is it was keeping us from doing interviews now, you know, we were putting them off into the future. So, um, so maybe that's a good place to start, right? Like we're all going through this whole thing. So much has changed on the outside. What is something that quarantine has gifted you? Like this whole COVID thing, maybe it's an awareness or something that you've discovered. You know, I found out that my name was on a sticky note on your cabinet, which is, that's super positive. I'm hoping that in the cabinet is like maybe some potato chips that are like my true (laughs) spirit food or something like that. Um, But, you know, I mean, I think moments of upheaval are, are where growth happens, you know? Um, I mean, it's, it's so cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. I mean, you look at the natural world even and like, every great expansion of life's diversity on earth came after a major extinction event, you know, like 600 million years ago, the whole earth like froze over essentially. And what came out of that was the ultimate diversification of life into everything that happened. And, And that pattern repeats itself over and over. And then for us individually, like, you know, until you're forced to rethink whatever your, you know, baseline thoughts and life processes are, like why change, you know, change is so hard to, to do when you're on the fly, when you're in the moment. Um, so, you know, COVID has been great for that. And then, you know, I'm not sure when this comes out, but we're recording this in the midst of, um, you know, the, the reckoning that our country is going under with racial issues too. And it's so positive that it's happening now, I think, um, because now is a time when a lot of people are rethinking maybe, their the way that they've lived their lives and their decisions and things um and we're not just trying to rush to get moment to moment for for most of us right now so yeah i mean you know upheaval feels weird it's uncentering it feels it's strange but i think a lot of people are going to look back at this time and be like wow that's actually where i grew the most Yeah, I've even heard it um, spoken as we're we're finally seeing it's been about seven plus years of this unraveling, and we're finally f- seeing those changes of the new world that's emerging from the whole 2012 shift. Um, and and that was true. If you you know anyone who studies the stars or anyone who studies the universe would tell you that there there you know there is more light shining on this earth than ever before. And um, the physical takes a little while to catch up. And we are on the precipice of what I believe is a new earth. And so I know there's a lot of talk about like going back to normal. I want to go back to normal. But like I've said to BJ, like are we really going to go back to traffic jams? Like are we really doing this when we know that for the most part, I would say most of these corporations are able to 
continue their day-to-day business with people working at home. And if people are happier working at home, wouldn't you leave them there? Because we know that happier means more productive. So for you, is there anything that you've that you have discovered that was your normal before that's like, oh, well, that's kind of no good. And I'm going to leave that in the past and I'm going to create this new thing moving forward. I thought what you said about traffic jams is like the most perfect apt analogy. Um, because I mean, realistically, like if we, if we broaden out traffic jams to include like life obstacles that are ultimately ridiculous, the more you think about them, like basically life can't go on without those things. Like, I mean, everything kind of is like that, you know, outside of, in a lived experience, you know, we, we can have these lofty ideals about maybe how we're lifting others up or how we're being mindful and present, but we're still going to like have traffic jams and like the toilet's going to get clogged. And what about the septic tank? Um, an issue that we faced recently and all these other things. And I think, um, you know, what I, the reflection that I really had with all of this is like, um, so comedian Pete Holmes, who I love, um, had, he's talking specifically about traffic jams said that like, that is the moment that he finds the most opportunity because, um, what he, what he says in that moment is yes, thank you. Um, like, so turning toward those things that might seem ridiculous or inconvenient and instead of being resentful or whatever, trying to express gratitude towards those things, not just gratitude towards the things that maybe are more um, apparent or evident in your life, but to the things that like, I mean, maybe one place where I think I grew in this time was, um, so with, with Megan, my wife, you know, like, this time has been different for a lot of relationships. And one thing I reflected on that in the moment is like, um, with her in particular is like thinking differently than I do, even on something pretty fundamental, like the yes, thank you, or something like that. That does not mean that it's wrong, right? Um, that I need to be more okay with like not like the like thoughts coming from all all different places and being a hundred percent like that's freaking awesome too. Um, and not that I need to necessarily rethink everything, but that um, you know we're all allowed to have totally different perspectives on all these different things. And um, it goes with COVID and the lockdowns and all that too. Like you know. Some people might find they love working at home and other people might be like, I can't wait to get back to some more structure in my life. And, you know, the person that reads Buddhist teachings within me would want to be like, well, what is the structure all about anyway? But then, you know, I think what it's (laughs) the ultimate lesson for me is that that like diversity of experience is what is so rich about having like society and not just living life in a simulation. Yeah, so the waking up, this this waking up, shaking up and waking up. And and I think those that are, grab hold of this opportunity that really question exactly what you're talking about, like what is the structure? Like what why is it that I'm craving going back to the office? Why is it I'm craving to get back to the track now? Why like what is it about the track? You know, I've been doing these workouts on a on a dirt road and I've been enjoying it. So what, what is it about the relationship to the track that is, that is stimulating this? Um, because you know, I'm a triathlete and all the pools are closed and, but there's a lagoon a mile down the road and we've been living here for four years and I've been hesitant to go in there. Right. 
now I can't get out of there. Like it's, it's, so you're, swimming no in, you're swimming in a lagoon right now and swimming in a lagoon every other day. Yeah. I'm imagining there being like swamp creatures in there. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Just so you know, like that, that little tickle you feel at like 50 meters, actually a very evil finger. Not, it's not good. It's not seaweed. Not seaweed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. I'm going there this afternoon. Um, but I, I love that. I love that piece of it too. The unknown, you know, it's asking, it's asking all of us to, to really get curious about the thoughts that we have about yeah. certain things, the stories we have. And you've talked about that before, like these stories, like, you know, writing your story and, and creating it. But also we've got this baggage of stories that, man, we're just dragging this thing around with us and celebrating our limitations and, and, and shouting it to the, the hilltops. I think the people that have been able to sit at home for a while and maybe not gone to the office, have started to to question that stuff because at the, in the office atmosphere, everybody jumps on board, right? You're going to, it doesn't have to be an office. It can be, you know, your community, um, your group meeting, whatever. Um, but now it's that time to, 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 to take opportunity with the stillness. Yeah. And I find that a lot of um, the athletes that we work with, that we've heard from and people from social media, like it's the stillness is challenging. Why do you think it's so challenging to sit still? Well, I mean, I think so. The, the, show, the show, The Good Place, I, there was a, if you've never seen it, it's amazing, but there was a quote in there, or there's like a moment in there where this creature that's like ultimate, like the, I don't know what you call him, but he's a demon. So he's immortal, let's say. Um, and he has to reckon with the feelings of mortality. And he just goes through this ultimate psychotic break where he's just like screaming the whole time. And they're like, this, that's what humans feel like all the time when they think about it. Um, so, you know, if you want to say in like a positive way, like the way we always say is like stardust with delusions of grandeur. And if you want to say in a negative way or like a maybe a more morbid way, rapidly aging meat sacks. <laughs> but either way, you know, once you stop having things that, distract you. Um, I think it becomes more and more like easy to think about those things and like your role in the bigger picture, you know? Um, and that can be liberating and it can also be freaking horrifying. And I think it's often both at once. And so in this, in the like stillness, in the quiet moments, it's when, yeah, you might have, you know, this, you might feel like you're on a path to enlightenment sometimes. And other times you might feel like, you know, you're on a path to nihilism and, and, really like your a disconnect from your own self-worth or worth of anything. And what, what we try to encourage athletes is like, all of that is the same path. Um, and then athletic life is a, like the ultimate in being able to, you know, discern like the, the little ribbons of trail that you might not even see there because you know, what, what is an athletic life other than becoming comfortable with these ideas of failure and breakdown and all this other stuff. So um, yeah, we, we try to encourage those types of like thoughts, reflections constantly, um, with athletes, not, not being, not in like a spiritual way, because we're not necessarily fluent in that language all the time, more in just like a practical way. Like, tell me about what you're feeling. Let's talk about it. Not like, I don't care what your splits were. I care about like how you're feeling about yourself right now. I want athletes to try to reflect on these really hard things, but also, you know, every little thing about how they feel, because, um, you know, by doing that, they can start to 
have an internal monologue that is more loving and accepting of themselves, which through that they can like, not just hopefully be like a little bit more content in their rapidly aging meat sack, but also, you know, be the type of person that lifts others up and get way freaking faster because that voice is ultimately holding them back. So what the goal is, is to try to, you know, I don't want them to have my voice in their ear during training or other times. Like I just want to be a supportive figure. What I want them to do is maybe nudge their voice in their ear, you know, that they're their own coach when they're out there and that that voice isn't saying I'm not enough or this split isn't fast enough. That voice is saying, I am a freaking boss and look what I'm out here doing. And oh my gosh, I am amazing. And from that, it, it, it takes a lot of the weight off. I think when we, when we keep this stuff, when we keep this voice inside of our head, just, just for us, um, it separates us. It makes us feel alone. Right. And that's, that's such a purpose of this podcast that is just, I felt so alone before and I feel alone on this path sometimes, many times on this path. And then I remember, you know, that we're all in these human bodies and we're all really traversing at the essence, the, the same exact kind of feelings. And when we start to talk about them, we process them, right? We process them. We are entrusting them with somebody who's going to receive them in a non-judgmental way, like a coach. And what I have found is that it disempowers that voice. That voice gets a little bit quieter. Now it never shuts off because it's just always there, but it doesn't have over time. I've found with athletes I've worked with, it doesn't have such a hold on them anymore. Like we don't need to hide our greatness or our darkness. I like, let's stop hiding those things. We're all reflecting one another and we've all got the light and the dark because that's, that's how this world is. That's how this world exists. And we're not going to change that. But boy, we can start shining a light on the dark and we can disempower it. And I do believe that makes us faster. I do believe it makes us um, better at achieving our goals and having trustful relationships with our coaches and our loved ones and ourselves. Yeah. Huge. I love that. I mean, it reminds me of a, I'm like, I keep re referencing like random things at the start of my answers. I don't know why you're, you're, you're inspiring like a bunch of different neuronal connections, I guess. But um, I think it's Phoebe Ryan. I'm not sure, but she has a song that's essentially like, you know, I, the message is I love your darkness or, or anything. And that's like what Megan and I hope to put out into the world as much as possible is like, it's not that we love people that are like puppy unicorns, like a shorthand that people on our team have thrown around for like, you know, like a lightness, carefree laughter about everything. It's like, no, we, what we're trying to do is like, we love the times when you feel like the worst person on earth too. Um, and all that stuff. And like, just try to give this like background of love that can hopefully, you know, lift up the parts of a person that they, they like the most over time. Um, and then also do it for ourselves. I mean, you know, we're, we're both doing our own stuff. So, you know, I, I, I saw, I know you guys have a dog there next to your recording and like such obviously life looks different in the eyes of a human and a dog but man you see a dog go through life and it's like yeah you know and then i and then i'm stressing over here stressing about like some tax form and i'm like god <laughs> i'm i'm wasting some time right now aren't i <laughs> 
you know, I came home from my run this morning and we just moved into a new place. Um, it's a little studio and it has a loft, which is new. So stairs are new to Clark. And um, I came home from my run and, you know, because it's a big deal when you come home, right? So I want to savor that as much as possible. I love to soak up his love. And I kind of snuck in and I was like, oh my gosh, he's upstairs. And I went upstairs and there he is on the bed, you know, just like showing me his belly and, and burying his head and doing all these ridiculously cute things. And he's like, I'm such a good boy because I'm laying in bed. <laughs> and how many athletes are like, I'm so lazy. I should really get out. I should really. And so if you, if anybody has a dog, like watch these things, you know, like he's just so proud of himself for lying in bed, you know, and I'm proud of him from not eating another book, but it's, I love the innocence of that. And I think we all need to remember a little bit of, of that as well. We do have that purity within ourselves. And the more we shine the light on it, the more we um, are loving our darkness there's yeah. a book uh, by Matt Kahn. I haven't read it, but it's, um, you know, whatever it is, love it. I think that's the name of it. Whatever it is, love it. And and that is, that's it, man. I think love is the way. And I also think that love is badass. I think loving what you do and loving your sport and loving your body and loving yourself is is a high, high level of intelligence and um, a beautiful way to walk this earth as the example of really what we all dream to see more of. I love that. Yeah, and just like self-criticism is the worst. I mean, and it's hard, especially with social media and all these other different things that are are in our brains to turn off these voices. I mean, so what we try to do is not not encourage them to be turned off, but instead of like be like, oh hey, that voice. I'm gonna try to harmonize with that voice and like get some rhythm going and you know dance. And if you're as bad of a dancer as I am, you can't help but laugh at that and <laughs> um, you know go from there. I, like. I, I basically think, you know, outside of some horrid humans that do exist, like most people are just doing the best with the information they have and coming to different places. And, you know, I just, because it's fresh on the brain, you know, you're talking about Black Lives Matter and stuff like, you know, the people that respond, to, I wrote an article yesterday about, about the subject and the people that respond negatively, it's like, you know, I grew up in a, in a place with Confederate flags and stuff. And like those people probably like, you know, they with the things that they've been exposed to in their lives create a whole different reality than the one I'm seeing. And that doesn't mean like in the compassion, like there can be like, there needs to be change in those people. Um, but it also indicates that like, you know, if, if we can just try as hard as we can to, view the, like, not just view the world through other shoes, like not just go beyond empathy and to be like, I can't fully understand that person's experiences because I haven't lived their experiences. And from there, try to do things that are, you know, the best for those around us, you know? Um, and I think that that's the thing that's really coming out in this time is like, as a white person, I can't understand a black person's experiences. And so as a result, I have to listen and act, affirm, amplify those voices and act in my own life. Um, and yeah, so in other words, hopefully, um, you know, it's a long way from self-criticism, but the idea being that like all of our, all of our crap, it doesn't come from nowhere, right? It's coming from somewhere. And if we can find out and with love, like where that place is and then bring, you know, grab some supporters and open up, shine a light in the tunnel, then it just gets, I don't know, it just gets way easier. 
It does. It does. It's just not, um, it just doesn't have that power anymore over us. It's not because it comes in as truth. And I think that that's the first thing to, um, to question is like, is this true? Is this yeah. true? Oh man. I ask that all, like when I feel that sharp, like, oh, that judgment that is so righteous, that is so like, oh, I have this and nobody else has, like, I have got the answer and it's because this person is doing this wrong. And I'm always like immediately like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's dark. Okay. Is it true? Is it true? <laughs> no, it's not true. But it's it feels good. No, oh my <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. It's like a, it's a sick satisfaction, but you got to shine that light. Like, is it true? Like just start to question these things. And I think, you know, the things that I have faced in my life that are fearful, when I question them, when I look at them, when I don't hide from them, when I, when I don't take my eyes away from something that's very disturbing, but I feel is very important for me to see, and I feel all of that emotion, um, it's not, it's never as scary. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, when you're just looking for the truth of, of what it is, um, it's, it doesn't have, it doesn't have such a huge presence anymore, yeah. you know, in your life. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Fear. I mean, I think a lot of it just comes down to fear. The fear for an athlete. I mean, there's so many different elements of that from the daily, like, will I be able to do what I'm setting out to do today to like the long term, like where does my potential lie or, or anything like that to like the really long term and be like, you know, what is the point at all? Um, and I think it really does all come back to fear, which is why what we really try to emphasize, like opening up, talking to people, because the, the really, the scary, like everything is scary if you think about it a lot in between your own ears, you know? I mean, gosh, I imagine that if I, if I didn't talk about anything, I'd still be afraid of like ghosts under the bed, you know? Um, like it's just, it's just the brain runs away with everything. So, um, you know, it's, that's our goal with, with coaching and writing and all these other things is like, and, and so clear listening to the podcast and then God on the introduction, it's like, you know, you don't feel alone in that. And then from there, like, that's where you can actually like give yourself the grace to grow into whatever, you know, whatever that means for you. So yeah, maybe you, you just made me think that maybe a lot of what I'm trying to do is put some, put some aloe on my own fear by trying to help take some of other people's away from them. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, um, we're all here to, give permission to our athletes to, to fail and to experience that fear and to experience that doubt and to, and to understand that it's okay that your path a year from now, 10 years from now, you don't know what it's going to look like and that's okay. And yeah, you can look to us, you know, we've done some work, we've, we've traveled some miles, but that's just one perspective and one experience. Um, in our confidence and in our um, ability to guide people. I don't like to say help anymore. I'm kind of not, not fe- feeling good with that. As we guide these athletes along the way, the fear is coming up so strongly because that mind wants so much certainty as to how the path is going to be laid. Because every step of the way, if I know it, then I'm going to be okay. And what we do as coaches, and this is where the alignment I feel so strongly about is it's it's okay to fail. It's okay to, to, um, to see a workout, go out and and do something a little bit different because it doesn't feel, feel aligned in that moment. And that's giving them permission 
um, little bit by little bit, little wins every day, little bit every day over a long period of time to gain that confidence. And we're, we are stewards of this. We need to do this. Um, and I'm finding myself um, opening up to the, the, hard, the hard lines that I would have to be more gray, to, to have it be like a, a fade. Like it's okay if this, you know, these intervals don't go the way they're supposed to. It's, there's more to it. There's more depth to it. And I think um, it's our responsibility to keep this up. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I granted, I think COVID changed things a little bit. Before, one of the metrics that Megan and I always talked about for our ultimate success is how many people quit their jobs um, on the team. Yes, yes. Yeah, so like, you know, what we always say is like, shoot your shot. It's a it's a quote from that is really dr- drawn home by Shay Serrano, an amazing author of some great books, but um, that are all there. I mean, it's not about like this type of thing, but He's just like, shoot your shot today, whatever that means. Like, you know, if you're a basketball fan, he talks about like Steph Curry coming across half court and shooting from 35 feet. Like so many people go through life life without that. And what we want athletes to do is shoot the shot in everything in life with, you know, the relationship you're not sure of with your the job stuff, with running for sure, because that's like the ultimate low, low stakes setting, but everything. And with that in mind, I mean, <laughs> it's also funny with, with COVID, like our, our, you know, we set a uniform resolution this new year for, for the athletes to um, fail spectacularly, to fail like really in this amazing way and like this public way. And I think COVID made it so that that uh, got, got achieved much earlier for a lot of people than planned. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, we want people jacking up three pointers from 35 feet. We don't want them to wait for the layup from three feet away. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of like, we're the coach that might not necessarily run the most efficient offense all the time, but I think it's more fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Like never hold back. Yeah. Never. Yeah, my te- means, my yeah. teacher says that to me all the time. He says, never hold back. Like never, ever hold back. So much. I mean, you know, I'm a, <laughs> I was a lawyer that got into running and I just got lucky that I had Megan that was my coach, you know, that told me all along, she's like, do this, do this, do this. And like incrementally created this world that was totally different than what I expected through shooting like 18,000 shots that she encouraged, you know? Wives are are so amazing. Aren't they amazing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Totally amazing. Um, (laughs) Like, yeah, wives deserve a foot massage right now. Yeah, right now. Right you know, now. I love that you're you're touching upon this because this is exactly where I wanted to go next. Is can you um, can you tell us about like why? Well, first of all, I purposely left out what SWAP stands for because I wanted you to explain it and when it was birthed and um, yeah, and maybe some of the risks that you took. Like, I'm assuming if you were practicing as a lawyer, you had to quit that job at some point. So yeah, I mean it's easier to tell an origin story of anything that's neat and clean, you know, like in the movies with the superheroes where it's like something happens and then they become a superhero and it's like, Oh, that all makes sense. Um, But in reality, I think it really is the 18,000 like little iterations that we were talking about that, that create something in the end. And so that's why like, it's so essential to shoot the shot because every single one matters. Right. But, and the second one relies on the first one and it's never just one big shot. There's sometimes this. So with, with me in particular, you know, I was, I was doing law and Megan was in medical school 
And, um, you know, I'd always just like wanted to try to be there for people on their journey. I mean, I was a, I wasn't a runner growing up. I went to college to play football as this big, strong guy. And I had to, I found running at a, at a slightly later age than a lot of people, a lot of people that start when they're really young and nothing was evident. Nothing made sense to me, you know, coming, especially from a football background. Why did it, why could I sprint really fast, but running through like a mile was impossible, you know, like all these other things. And so learning over time and then always getting joy from other success, I was like, oh, well, you know, let's put up a little website and coach some people for free for fun. And so that became some work all play, which I wish there was more thought behind it, but it was literally just Megan was studying at 10 PM one night and it was like, this turn of phrase sounds more clever with one glass of wine than it might sound in the morning. So let's do this. Um, so put up a social media post and a few people like reached out and coached for free. And then they told their friends and they told their friends and eventually it took on a life of its own. And within that framework, um, the public interest law that I was doing started to, um, you know, every morning when I woke up, I couldn't wait to talk to the athletes. Um, and there were parts of law I loved, but I didn't necessarily, I felt, I, I felt like in law I was playing, I was much more playing a character than being my true self a lot of the time. Um, and then eventually Megan's like, you know, I, it never really even occurred to me until Megan was like, David, just go all in. And that led to what it, what it's become. But, and, you know, it all relies on the athletes that took chances early on, especially when they were taking chances on like, I, I, you know, I'm not sure me, I guess, like as a person. Um, but in, and even to this day, I mean, I, there was one athlete that she's like a 45 year old woman who's amazing. She ran, uh, a half marathon PR and within the half marathon set her 10 K PR on day is she's 45 on day 2,500 of the law of her training log. And it's like, gosh, at day one, you know, we were, didn't, we both didn't know anything like, or compared to now, you know? So yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, the short, short end of it. But I, that's why I always encourage athletes to, to just go for whatever their thing is. Like, and you don't have to go all at once, right? Like you didn't, you can just do little things to keep going, but not to give up on whatever that is, because like it, the inertia of society and life is going to probably pull you in directions that aren't true to like who you are. In your experience of, of making that final decision from dropping being a lawyer to being a coach, what was that decision like for you at that point in time? And, and can you look back and be like, well, it could have gone a little bit different? So I think I was lucky that the, the organization, the Environmental Law Institute that I work for in law, they're super understanding the whole time because... Um, you know, public interest law is a little different than some of maybe the more like corporate style law. They, the whole time they were just like, well, you know, stay halftime. And then later on, they're like, well, just stay on as PI, you know, of, of this project. And so, you know, they've made it great. And have, like, even now they'll be like, well, if you ever want to just do some, do some work, you know, not just in a, something you're passionate about, because I love the people I've gotten to work with in Alaska and the, the tribes in Alaska and the people in Louisiana and stuff. Um, so I think the hardest part for me wasn't necessarily like the logistics, like making the leap end of it. It was in the conception of self end of it, where 
you know, I'd invested all this money and time. I mean, I had $200,000 in student loans after I graduated law school between undergrad and law school. And it's like, that's a, that's not just a lot of money in it, but that entails a lot of work that went into being, I'm a lawyer. And one day maybe I can change the world from being like a Senator or something to being like, no, you know, I am a running coach and that's where I draw my meaning. And so I think that process was maybe the, the part that had a little bit more friction. Um, but the funny thing is like, I thought it would have this, you know, be tougher. And then as soon as like that weight lifted, I was just like, oh yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be, you know? And it, that's where it's a reciprocal relationship. The athletes like that usually I'm the one there for, I mean, I think that like I put up when I posted that back in 2015 or whatever, that that was happening. They were just like, oh my God, about freaking time. You know, so that helped too. I love it. Yeah. I always say, we always say to people, like if you're in a profession or something in your life that's, you know, doesn't feel aligned, like understand that there are people who are waiting for you. They are, they don't even know it, but they are waiting for you to start to move forward on what your heart is telling you to do. And you don't, you know, have to quit your job right away. Some people do. Some people quit their job. Some people, mm -hmm. they get fired. Um, like yours, it was this, like they loved you. And so they were giving you all these really safe little tears for you to continue to make your steps forward. Um, what have you, what have your, what's the biggest thing that your athletes have, have showed you about yourself as a coach? Ooh, that was a different question than I was expecting it to go. Um, I think that like I'll show up like they know that I'll no matter what that what's going on like they're not going to have to wonder where I stand or anything like that um and it's been super powerful for me in my life too like you know that athletes are comfortable like if something big happens for them that hopefully I'll be one of the first people they want to tell um and I think maybe before coaching I, some of my negative self-talk was related to, you know, maybe at the end of the day, like I wasn't the best friend or anything like long-term, you know, like I'm good in person, but like oftentimes I would let things fall away. And, you know, like a lot of my friends from college, I'm not as, you know, we're not talking all the time, like that type of thing, you know? And, um, I think what the athlete showed me is that, oh, the context just wasn't right for me. You know, it's like when it's this, like I, I, get to talk to like downstairs right now working here today is um amelia boone one of the athletes that we coach who's one of our best friends and you know we've talked to each other every day for like five or six years like 365 days a year you know and um i think that's been like for me as a coach it's also made me feel more complete and like like i'm you know uh <laughs> that some of the things i thought were inadequacies might inadequacies might not have been. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my answer. <laughs> what, um, what do you see as like a common limiter in athletes with, you know, whether that's something a race day or training, or what is that common thread that you see that you're, you're constantly guiding them to, to shine a light on? So I'll do two answers here. The first one's going to be up in the clouds. And then the second one's going to be more like methodological. Um, so up in the clouds, Megan and I talk about it all the time that we, when we started this, like I, I did not speak in this type of language, right? Like I was much more 
training and, um, you know, trying to like what I conceived before of a running coach being not being super immersed in the area, you know? Um, and over time you start to see these patterns. And I think there's a reason that so many coaches end up talking like this. Like, and, you know, I mentioned basketball earlier, but like Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich, two of the best coaches, all they, I mean, they talk like this, Pete Carroll in football, so many running coaches. I think basically if you see people behind the scenes and you see the same patterns over and over again, you start to be like, you know, you start to see that it, it really is not about so much the logistic, the day-to-day logistics and more about like how a person gets to this point, which is my, my first answer, which is self-belief. Um, that self-belief is by far the most important attribute an athlete can have to Megan and I. Um, and what self-belief means to us is not thinking, you know, you're going to win a race or a gold medal or anything like that. It's just that you can continue to grow even when handed evidence to the contrary. Um, because in an athletic life, you're getting evidence to the contrary all the freaking time. Sometimes it's injuries or really bad, really tough things like that. Sometimes it's life situations. Sometimes it's poor workouts. Sometimes it's not wanting to go out the door, you know, with running at least running freaking sucks a lot of the time. Like it just doesn't feel good sometimes. And you're giving this information always. And if the person that responds to that information being like with a little bit of a laugh and a wink and being like, yep, that's awesome. I got this. Um, that's the person that actually like, you know, can give themselves the room to find what they're capable of. And then a lot of people that don't do that think that they're at their limits and aren't even seeing their limits from the distant horizon yet. You know, what that means in practice is like the, the courage to show up over and over and over again and give yourself the chance. And if it doesn't work out, give yourself a chance again and just keep doing that because that's like the magic of an athletic life. Um, so yeah, self-belief is where it's at there for there. And then the, the methodological thing just for runners is that like a lot of runners overemphasize aerobic power or things like that, um, or, you know, essentially training like a cyclist for running. And what, what's really important in running is the biomechanical and neuromuscular efficiency of actually being able to put out a lot of power and go fast. So, you know, we're really known for hill strides and things like that, but you know, our, our training approach is really focused on not grinding a person down with like longer intervals and things too much. I mean, though that is a part of every training system. It's more about like, I want an athlete to be confident when they get to the start line, they're the fastest version of themselves in addition to being super strong. So not necessarily someone training for a marathon, being able to go out and run consistently three or four hours slogging along more so running an hour, maybe 90 minutes with more specific power strides and for sure but i mean it can be even much much more narrow than that like i want an athlete to be like if they if they're playing if they get to a soccer field and they're like that they can run from one end of the soccer field to the other without sprinting super freaking fast and that seems like it's not it doesn't distribute to um other events but you know we've gathered so much data over time megan's an expert on this stuff and what we've seen is that top end sustainable speeds and not sprinting but um, like that, re- that relaxed, fast effort correlates down all the way to 100 miles and possibly even like 200. You know, it's, it's crazy. And it makes sense intuitively if you, if you draw it out, like some of the physiological systems involved. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the ability to actually be confident in your speed and power makes it so that everything else you do that is sub-threshold um, it takes way less effort. So it all gets back to running economy. 
I like that because I like the confidence in your ability for power versus the attachment to your ability yeah. to, to run power. I, I like the confidence. That word to me says so much more about um, you as a person, <laughs> you as a person, your athletes as a, as a unique individual than it does to say like, you know, because I've seen this speed, then I'm attached to this. So come race day, I'm going to crush this particular pace. Yeah, I, like I mean, you know, we, I think maybe it partially because like I came from other sports and Megan played field hockey in college and was a superstar at times, you know, like we like to talk in the language of like swag, like you're out there. I want you to have swag as an athlete. Like, I don't care if you're run walking 30 minute miles. Like I want you to be like, I love me some me. I am freaking awesome. And, um, you know, encouraging that mindset towards not just like the general approach, but also the specifics of like your capabilities. And, you know, our training approach hopefully backs that up too. But often we find that like the athlete that can truly embody that, then they're actually able to see what they're capable of. Like, you know, you, you mentioned that we've coached someone that multiple athletes that have won Western States. And so last year, Claire, one of our best friends who won Western States, like I, we had dinner with her the night before or lunch with her or something the night before. And it's just like, oh yeah, she's going to win tomorrow. Yeah, she's going to win. Not because she was cocky or anything like that. That's the opposite of her personality. But for her, swag manifested as peace. She was just like 100% just chill, ready to go. That was her swag. But for other people, swag is like, you know, really like pumping chest or being their chest or feeling anxious or any of this other stuff. Um, but like, you know, because we want to view athletics as a game, as, as play, you know, all play, like, because of that, you know, I don't want that. I don't want the, you to play or to shoot ever, to ever take that shot being like, this is maybe this will go in. I want you to be like, this is going in. And then when it air balls be like, next one's going in. <laughs> so that's what we're trying to encourage. You know, I was just, uh, I just did Bryce Canyon um, last weekend and um, I met this girl early on and we were running and, you know, you know, you can't, like, what's your name? And, you know, we were kind of running together and she said, well, this is my first 50 miler, you know, I hope I can finish it. I don't think I can. And I said, whoa, whoa, sister, like put a halt, put pump the brakes on that kind of languaging. It's not going to help you. And she was like, oh, you're so right. I said, so anytime that comes up, you know, maybe just look up at the sky or maybe just touch a tree or just take a breath and get yourself back into a space where, you know, maybe you can reach for some more helpful thoughts or just get yourself calm. And then when Beej uh, came and he was pacing me for the last part of it. And then I saw her as I was coming out of a very difficult section and she was standing there talking to people. And I'm like, oh my God, this girl, like somebody needs to put a rocket in her pants. And um, then of course I looked and she didn't finish the race. And I was like, oh, so um, yeah, we got to watch those words that we use. And when you talked about Claire, it's just being like that peaceful, like, yeah, I've got it it's not a cockiness. It's, it's a knowing, right? She had this knowingness and it's not like she, I, I've heard you break this down on Candace's. I heard the interview with her, you and Claire on Candace's um, podcast. I loved it. And um, I mean, what an exciting race and finish. And as a coach, like, was that one of your most incredible moments? And for people who don't know, can you kind of give a breakdown of what happened there? So for sure. Um, so Western States 100 last year, it's kind of 
you know, it's the biggest U.S. race in in trail and ultra running, um, and it's a big deal. Like outside of just the prestige of it, I mean, this is people's livelihoods at stake. You know, so once you get to this level, you're starting to think about like it starts to become a lot more like the basketball analogy we talked about, where it's not, you know, it isn't. It, it is play, but a lot of your brain wants to make it something much greater than that. Um, so I'll just I'll just fast forward to the race itself. I mean you know, Claire came in and she was super fit, but, um, you know, there were really amazing women in that race. And so it's a normal day. It's super hot. Um, I'm out there watching her and at mile 60, so way into the race at Forest Hill, this famous aid station, she, she comes in there and she's a, a good bit behind at that point, the, the woman that's leading, she's like 40 minutes behind. And Claire comes into the aid station, just like, as only Claire can, if you've ever, you need to watch, I'm sure, I actually think there's a video of this online um, where it's a million miles an hour, Claire, she's just, her brain is on fire. She's rattling off jokes. She's moving real fast. It's like a mix of this manic energy mixed with calm and strength. It's just very unique to her. And after she leaves the aid station, I remember I was like shoveling rice into her mouth at one point because I was like, eat this, you know, get something in, uh, like more substantive. Um, as she leaves the aid station, Megan turned to me and was like, oh yeah, she's going to win. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, it's just that, that was like, that is her power comes from that feeling. And so um, long story short, Claire gets to, you know, late in the race, she's winning, she's running one of the fastest times ever. And with five miles to go, um, a woman comes up from behind, a headlamp comes up from behind, one of the best runners in the world, Brittany Peterson. And um you know, at that moment, I think it's like the ultimate test because at mile 95, it's not like you, no one has anything left, right? Like your body is done. Um, and what happens at that point? And what adds the extra layer is two years before Claire was at that exact age station, um, having one at the time, one of the races of her life when her, she had to drop out, like, even though she was all the way at the front of the race because of, um, a knee injury that appeared, um, so, you know, it's this moment where it's like, you're just, you're facing your, de your metaphorical demons, your historical demons, and then a literal speed demon chasing you and get catching you. And so I was standing at the track, which is where it finishes with, you know, trying to track, but you can't really tell what's going on. And, um, you know, everyone at this point is like freaking out. And so Claire, um, get, you know, we're just like, well, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And then I get a text from an athlete that's out on the course in the middle of the night, um, at the top of the, the, the big climb, the text is 10 minutes earlier than I ever could have expected. So Claire has just run the fastest five miles in the history of this race by not just a little bit by a lot in that five miles. She set the all time Strava segment record, like including for people that just run it fresh. And this is up to Auburn, so like a normal seg segment record. Um, and I, you know, I think that that was just a triumph of, of her as a human um, as much as anything. I mean, she ended up winning by about 10 minutes and running one of the fastest times ever. But it, I think it also just shows the work she had done between 2017 and 2019 to be fully comfortable with who she was in the place she was at so that she knew when that happened, like she was going all in but it wasn't going all in with like the opportunity to like, it's either you win or you bust and it doesn't matter. It's like you win or you win. Like it, she was at that point. And so 
yeah, I cried a lot that night. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's all because of those four times 30 second strides, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, I think it, a lot of it does get back to like, you know, the whole team had a really good day that, that race. And, um, you know, we generally, I mean, we train a lot like there's, but it's less mileage than a lot of people would assume that hundred mile racers do. It's less than a, a really elite road marathoner would do, for example, for those types of things. I think a lot of it's just about getting to a place where you're really confident in your strength um, and in strength also meaning speed and, um, you know, supporting that confidence over multiple training cycles so that an athlete can continue progressing. So, yeah, and that being said, you know, I, may, I might even said this on that podcast, I can't remember, but a random number generator could coach Claire as long as it doesn't hurt her. <laughs> um, let's... Let's dive in just a little bit to uh, to these strides because I know you're a big believer in them. BJ's a big believer in them, and I think that there's a lot of athletes that are like they'll it's not on their brain. They'll be, oh I didn't it's even not do enough. this stride, or it's not enough, or um, they just don't think it's worth it. And I know that there's some science behind it. So can you just explain what the strides are and why are they so dang important? So I think it's tempting to view running or any of these sports. Um, as aerobically driven. And I don't think they're aerobically driven. I mean, there's obviously an aerobic base that's essential and that plays a huge role. But I think often it's very easy to neglect the neuromuscular biomechanical feedbacks that then play into aerobic adaptation. So Lance Armstrong, you know, with all the drugs available to man and horse, finished 40 minutes behind the world record marathon you know, at the peak of his powers when he dropped, when he stopped the tour and ran New York city. So like as the strongest aerobic athlete that's ever lived, um, you know, with all that entails for him, like he was still that, that slow. So what's the offset there? And that happens with a lot of cyclists. What's the offset? The offset is neuromuscular, biomechanical, musculoskeletal, you know? Um, and so what we want to do is we want to create a positive feedback loop where you develop the the first, the lowest hanging fruit, which is neuromuscular, actually the brain learning what it means like feels like to go fast and understanding how high output um, translates uh, to running sustainable speed. Then the body adapts to that biomechanically, improves form, also um, changes like uh, you know an athlete from the cellular level on up. And then once you feed that back into aerobic development, you're able to get an athlete that with the same amount of energy use is able to go substantially faster. Um, and that's the, that's the Holy grail for us. Like if, if we had to summarize what our training trainings about in one, in one little thing, it's just, let's improve running economy. Let's make faster running feel easier and take less energy over time. Um, and so there's a lot of studies to back it up, but I feel like it's almost better to avoid that because a lot of the studies don't look at long-term trajectories anyway. So it's kind of disingenuous of me to use pick and choose studies that back me up when they're all six to 12 weeks anyway. Um, what we found is that, you know, the aerobic adaptations are often pretty darn capped unless the athlete raises that ability to put out output over and over and over again. Um, so, you know, I think it, it's hard because a lot of the, a lot of training philosophy has been developed by such super talent or training such super talented people that the ceiling on their output is already at the roof. So it, it applies less. And there's some people like that, that we coach that, you know, it, Matt Daniels, a sub four miler, like doesn't need to do that much of, of this type of thing, though it still plays a role. 
Um, but for everyone else, like if you don't move them in conjunction, uh, I think often it leaves an athlete thinking, well, I do all this training. Why am I not at this point? And it's like, it's not about the, how much you do with training. It's about teaching your body movement patterns that will be more efficient over time. And where does consistency play a role in that? Oh, that- it's everything. So, you know, I think it's <laughs> like a lot of what I'm talking about is window dressing compared to the role of consistency in anything. I mean, I think that there's probably scientific and, genet- and genetic issues that we don't even understand yet. Um, so one thing we've seen in our data is that athletes that like, instead of taking that day off, if they're healthy, they do five or 10 minute jogs, even like get similar adaptation trajectories as athletes that do full training over the course of a training cycle. Um, and it makes no sense when you're thinking of an aerobic framework, because the aerobic stimulus is so small from that, um, to almost be nil for an advanced athlete. And so that could be measuring something like epigenetic influences where you turn on these switches over and over and over again. And the more you turn them on, the more perhaps you're going to get adaptations. Maybe that explains part of why doubles work, you know, which isn't fully understood for running, like why that type of training works for pro athletes. Maybe it's hormonal, whatever the reason, um, you know, and if, if you, I don't care what an athlete does if they're not consistent, but I also don't care like what they don't do if they are consistent, like consistency smooths over a lot of those rough edges. Um, and you know, our, our goal though, is to make it so that consistency really matters, but on a framework of like health and strength. So the ultimate goal is finding your strong, um, and str- like strong is also counteracted by too much work. And, you know, so we're all, I mean, if you've like everything we say, it's like eat a crap ton of food, like do the things to recover that you need to do. Um, that stuff is as important, if not more important than all the training methodology, which, you know, it's fun for, for me to sit here and wax poetic about any topic on training that you would ever want to ask about and cite all these studies. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I mostly, I mostly want athletes to make sure that they're eating enough food, giving their body enough love outside of running so that whatever we are doing, you know, it's actually uplifting because the worst thing possible is to do work that ultimately is just, you know, a manifestation of self-destruction, but feeling like it's productive. Mm, Yeah, that's the ultimate lie. I, I love that piece though about it all the training, all the research, all this stuff really doesn't mean anything if you if you can't get yourself on the other side of the door in the morning. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that's the hardest part. And one thing that I try to hopefully talk honestly about constantly is like with running and athletics in general, it's so easy to idealize this crap. Like, you know, people talk all the time about, oh, it's transcendent and it leads to all these places. It's like a lot of time it sucks and it's no fun. Um, <laughs> and everything in life is like that. I mean, as amazing as you guys are, I'm sure there are times when you're like, a podcast, oh my God, no, can't we just have a day off or not, or do something else? Um, and that's what athletics is like. Like, I mean, if you think deeply enough about anything, that's what it becomes. So, you know, what we challenge athletes is like the superpower of an athletic life, you know, persevering through the suck gives you powers, embracing the suck gives you superpowers. And so let's get those freaking superpowers. Um, so I like athletes to look forward to it, not because it's an end in and of itself. Like 
at the end of the day, Claire winning Western States is dust in the wind, monkeys playing poker, you know, whatever else you want to say. Um, and she understands that too. It's more about like, that's, that's the place where you do get these, these like life becomes, it's boiled down into a, to a glaze and this morsel that you can consume without risk. And so I want athletes to just go for it, just go for it in all things, dream big and, um, you know, understand that the difficulties that you feel are something that is shared by everyone. Like every single person I've ever talked to openly and honestly about this stuff has trouble getting out the door, questions why they're doing it. And the point isn't to be like, why am I having these thoughts? The point is to be like, hey, thoughts, see how you're doing again today. Well, let's try to do this anyway. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay too, because I'll do it again tomorrow. Perfect. That's amazing. I think that's the, an amazing um, message to to leave this podcast with. And how do people find you guys? Um, well, so swaprunning.com is the place. If you're listening to this now, what would be really awesome is donate a dollar to to Black Girls Run, a, uh, a nonprofit that is doing great work and um, could always use the money. So that, that's that's our that's our ask today. Um, and I love it. Yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, for sure. Perfect. Yeah, and all, one more is the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy, and I'll, I'll send you a link to that. There, if you want to like a uh, maybe like a legal element, they're doing work in the Gulf South related to um, disparate impacts on Black and other other communities. So um, they do great work. And then if you're looking for a little bit more. Just Google image search golden retrievers and in their <laughs> eyes, you will see a little bit of the message that I hope that I, I can send to you um, that you're loved. And I'm so glad that you're here and that you listen to this. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for um, all that wisdom, um, the, the stuff that's in the clouds and the stuff that's based in science. And, uh, you know, that's that's the ideal message of, of what we want to bring to this community. It's, you know, it's not just all one or the other. We've got to have our feet rooted in the ground, but we also need to believe that, you know, we are loved uh, simply because we exist and who we truly are is, is limitless. And so you might as well have fun along the way because you're going to die. After talking to you guys, I feel like I need to go like immediately either try to go do an interval workout or write something really ambitious. So as soon as we get off this podcast, I'm going to go conquer something inspired by you. Shoot your shot, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>